Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, April the 7th, 2022. It is currently 10.13 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know I typically am not going live on the air at 10.13 p.m. at night. I, that that typically is not when I'm doing live broadcast. So clearly, either this is just a special live broadcast, I just, I just felt like doing this, or there is something very pressing that I felt could not wait till tomorrow. And I felt that this could not wait, so I needed to immediately turn on the microphone and talk about something. And and what we're going to attempt to do is try to figure out what is actually true. Let me explain what is going on. Some accusations are being made. There are serious accusations. These accusations are are, are starting to swirl a little bit around the internet on, on different social media sites. Clearly, in fact, according to the, the it seems to be the original source of these accusations, um, there's going to be a podcast released about it. Everyone is taking sides. Everyone has their opinions. But I've seen, I've seen very little, it appears, of anyone going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's make sure we have this right. And so what I, I feel that it's just necessary that I turn on the microphone this evening and go, all right, guys, let's let's try to figure out what is true here and let's not just immediately grab on to accusations. So I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to put this back, I'm gonna put this together in some somewhat of a chronological order. Um I'm going to try to be very careful. And, and what we're going to do is we're gonna be listening. This is what we're going to do. A a, a clip, a video clip is going around this evening that's starting all of these accusations. The problem is, is, is the clip is only like a minute and 53 seconds long, and you know how I hate that. So what I'm doing is I've got the entire, I've got the entire thing here. I've got the en- entire um, video, uh, the entire clip. In fact, let me find it right here. I'm going to tell you how long it is. It's one hour and 40 minutes. I want you to hear that. Now, there's no way we're going to be able to do a review of one hour and 40 minute long clip this evening. We're we're not going to be able to pull that off. But what we're going to do is we're going to listen to as much as possible and talk about it while everyone else is running around making their judgment off a one minute, 52 second clip. We're going to review as much of it as necessary. If we need to, we'll review all one hour and 40 minutes if we need to. We won't be able to do that tonight, but we can come back and do a part two if necessary. But but let me explain, because I, I, I'm going to continue to put forth this idea until everyone in the world uh, agrees with this. It is, it is like some people's pastime, some people's hobby, it seems, on certain social media platforms to grab a clip from, say, someone's sermon, someone's lecture, and it may be a minute and 25 seconds. It may be two minutes. It may be three minutes. They post the clip, and then immediately everyone's like, oh, this person is is not a good preacher. This person's a heretic. This person is, you know, is dumb. And, and just it's attack, 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 criticize, 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 criticize. And then you go try to find the original clip and you're like, so everyone's jumping on this person for three minutes of a 45 minute sermon. 
I don't know why Christians would act that way. That's just not fair or right. Christians don't, don't engage in that. Don't post clips and don't comment on clips. If you're going to comment on a clip, say, where's the entire sermon? Let's listen to the entire sermon and then draw a conclusion. But people love to do this. So tonight, there's a video clip going around, and everyone's like, this is crazy. Now, it may be crazy. It may be absolutely the worst thing that we've ever heard in our lives. But whatever whatever is said in the clip needs to have some kind of a broader context so that we can be fair and accurate. So because everyone's talking about it this evening, I feel like that even though it's, you know, after 10, that I'm going to come on the air and do what I can to try to figure out exactly what's going on. So here is the history. Here is the history of what's going on, okay? I got to pull up all of this information, so just stay with me. Let's see, this was back, let's make sure when the first article was dropped. I don't want to, I don't want to, okay. So we have, first of all, um, we have a podcast that was released on March the 31st. Let's see. I think it came after the first article. Let me put this. No. Okay. Yes. So here. So here's what happened. First, okay, an article was released on March the 8th, 2022 at 625 p.m. The article was entitled, John MacArthur Shamed, Excommunicated Mother for Refusing to Take Back Child Abuser. All right. Uh, someone in the chat. Good evening. Yeah. Good evening to you as well. So this was the first article, March the 8th, 2022 at 625 PM. The article, again, headline, John MacArthur shamed excommunicated mother for refusing to take back child abuser. All right. Now this is, this started a, a firestorm on social media, YouTube videos. I don't even know how many YouTube videos have been made. I don't even know how many podcast episodes have been made, but it's about this situation that happened at Grace Community Church involving David Gray and Eileen Gray. All right. Eileen Gray uh, basically was being physically abused. And before it's all over, she's the one who gets excommunicated. Then it's found out that the children are being sexually abused by her husband. He goes to prison and Grace Community Church never lifts her church discipline. They, they never come back and apologize or anything. Now, uh, we could get into a whole discussion. We've already talked about that, but that's the story that started everything. I'm not going to go review the entire case. Eileen Gray, David Gray, David's still in prison. He came up for parole. It's been denied. And Eileen Gray... It's, it, well, technically is still under church discipline from Grace Community Church. Um, and so it's just the whole situation is horrible. It's, it's a horrible situation. And we did a number of podcasts about that. So that was March the 8th. Then on March the 17th, 2022 at 8.44 p.m., another article was released. John MacArthur's church supported convicted child abuser and pedophile record shows. Now, this is referring to David Gray, who went to prison, but when he went to prison, it it's appears that Grace Community Church obviously didn't believe that he was guilty, um, even though he was, uh, you know, found guilty of sexually abusing children. He goes to prison, and they, it appears, supported him almost like their prison missionary, right? So, so the story got even worse, and more videos were being made. Everyone was talking about it. Then on, so then on March the 31st, a podcast was released um, where uh, an individual analyzes abuse at John MacArthur's church. That podcast was released on March the 31st, 2022 at 2.18 p.m. 
all right? And that's the podcast from the Roy's report, right? So you can go listen to that. Then on April the 5th, the story just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. On April the 5th, these video clips were put put out of the head of counseling at John MacArthur's uh, school, Master Seminary, and his name is John Street. He's the head of counseling. There were these video clips put out of him seemingly to imply that a wife should endure abuse like a missionary endures persecution. In other words, if a wife is being abused, she should stay there and endure the persecution for the glory of God, basically like being a missionary, which, of course, this sparked all kinds of outrage, and we did a podcast about that. Now, my when I did a podcast about it, here's what I tried to do. In fact, all of these, uh, I, every podcast I did about this entire situation, I kept trying to say, well, here's the accusation. Here's what we can know. Here's what we can't know. We need to be very careful. This is a horrible situation. This is horrible. We want to pray for everyone involved. We want this to, we want, we want, you know, there to be repentance and restoration and reconciliation. And, and I got accused and, and I've, I received a number of emails or, or comments of people very upset with me saying, there's no middle ground here. Take a side. And I'm like, I'm just trying to say, whoa, everyone calm down. There are a lot of accusations. Let's try to figure out the truth. Let's try to figure out the truth. And let's try to let this play. It's all being played out in public. Obviously, Eileen and David Gray, I mean, there was a court case. I mean, it's just, it's a horrible situation. But on the John Street situation about the clips that he made seemingly to imply that a wife should basically stay with an abusive husband, what I said was, wait a minute, guys, we don't have the entire clips. So what I did is said, let's not make, I'm not going to make any judgment, any condemnation towards John MacArthur, Grace Community Church, the Master Seminary, because we have clips. But what we can do is take these clips and use them to discuss sometimes the problem of having a theological, let's call it a theoretical theology. Like it's a theological principle that you're talking about in a classroom. And then when you take that theology that's theoretical at the moment and you turn around and try to apply it to a real life situation, it can get ugly and messy. And sometimes we are not consistent with, sometimes we are not consistent with our theology. Sometimes we try to take our theology and put it into practice. And you have to ask yourself, is that really what our theology would say to do in this moment? So that's what I looked at. Again, try not to take a side. Well, then tonight, tonight is April the 7th, 2022. We have now another development to the story. Oh, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And trust me, I don't want to be talking about this. The only, I'm going to state it again. The only reason I'm here at, at 10, 24 p.m. on a Thursday evening is because this these accusations are going all over the place and everyone's taking sides. And what I'm trying to do is, whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone's taking sides based off a one minute, 37 second clip. It's a one minute, 37 second clip of a one hour and 40 minute lecture. Just try to even try to wrap your mind around that. Here's a one minute, 37 second clip. Everyone's losing their mind. I go find the original and it's an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> okay. I, th I think everyone needs to say, whoa, let's be a little, I, I would hope that everyone, I would hope everyone would always attempt to be fair and, and, and do what we can to try to find the truth. I, I, I hope everyone would be willing to do that. So here is how the video clip is making. Here's the headline that's going with the video clip that is uh, all over the place. 
And there's some clear, there's some serious accusations in this. All right. I'm going to give you the accusations. Now, the accusations here, let me just say, are of an adult nature. All right. So if you have children, this is a time to put headphones on. All right. This is a time just to walk away. All right. Here we go. Here's, here's, here's how it's, it's, it's making its way around the internet at this late hour. I guess this all started, I guess this all started about six or seven hours ago when this all went absolute, maybe 13 hours ago. I, somewhere today, this started going crazy and I didn't see it to just a little while ago. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. But here we go. And this is how it reads. Another appalling statement by Dr. John Street of Grace Community Church and Master Seminary. Now, remember, John Street, just so that we know, is the head of counseling at uh, Master Seminary. All right. And I believe he's an elder at Grace Community Church. You can verify that. Uh, I could be wrong. All right. Okay. We don't want to look at that. That's about Hillsong. Okay. Here we go. So another appalling statement by Dr. John Street of Grace Community Church and Master Seminary and Master's University. In this clip, now here's the accusation. Please note, in this clip, remember, one minute, 37 second clip out of a one hour, 40 minute long lecture. Okay, so you, you see why I'm hesitant. Now I'm going to get people going. No, you need to take a side. No, I, I, what I need to take, to, what I need to do is simply say, guys, here's the accusation. Here's context. You, and what I really what I'm going to try to do is just say, you decide. I'm not going to try to make any any judgment here. All right, um, unless we find something in this, I haven't even listened to it yet. I, we're going to be listening to this together. All right, and I'm, I know I made a mistake because I think at the beginning of this audio clip. It's actually a video. I, I ripped the audio from it. I think the first like minute is complete silence. So um, it may get a little, it, it may not uh, flow uh, super easy here in a minute, but we'll work through it together. All right. So here we go. I mean, this is all happening in real time. So here we go. I'm, I'm going to read this to you. Another appalling statement by Dr. John Street of Grace Community Church and Master Seminary. Please note, I did not write this. This is the accusation in this clip. Now, Quote, here's the accusation, right? Or, and I'm going to say, uh, quoting myself, here is the accusation, now quoting the accusation as published in this, uh, this headline. John, or they just put street, referring to John Street, suggest that a man turned to pedophilia because his wife wasn't fulfilling him, exclamation mark. I discussed this clip and others with Philip G. Monroe and my next podcast, Stay Tuned. So this is like what's happening here is this is being thrown out as a tease, right? Hey, here's the accusation. Stay tuned for my podcast coming up soon and you'll get the full discussion. Man, I, I'm not a big fan of doing it that way. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, come on now. If you're going to make a serious accusation like this, and, and clearly the accusations, I mean, it, it seems to read, well, well I'm not even going to try to interpret it. Someone else stated it this way about 13 hours ago. John Street teaching biblical counseling. The stepfather ended up sleeping with Glenda from the time she was four years of age because there was no sexual fulfillment with the mother. The stepfather ended up finding his sexual satisfaction with this young girl for several years. That's how 
this is being put forth. Now, now these are serious accusations because it, it seems to imply, and when you read what everyone is saying, there are those who are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're misinterpreting what's said. Others are like, no, he's almost making an excuse for pedophilia. He's, he's almost blaming, he's blaming the wife for, for her husband's pedophilia. Or he's blaming the, the wife for this man's pedophilia. Everyone's taking sides. But again, they're doing so on a one minute, 37 second clip. Now, this is, this should, I mean, this is a man's, I mean, they're, they're attacking a man's integrity. They're attacking a man's credibility. They're attacking a man's ministry. I mean, this, they're, they're obviously attacking MacArthur, uh, the Grace Community. Everyone's being attacked here. And it's everywhere. So what we, we are going to listen to everything and see what we find. And we're not, again, we're not going to be able to review all one hour and 40 minutes at this point. It's 1029 at night. We're going to go as far as we need to go. I've got, there's different people saying where the, the discussion starts in the larger clip, but we're just going to start at the beginning, right? So I'm going to go ahead and hit play really quick because it's going to, uh, it's going to take like a minute before the audio starts. All right. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm going to read this while this is, I'm going to hit pause for a second. Okay. Um, John, so John Street is a, this is straight from, uh, up the, to this particular point we've been, okay, hang on. I thought I had, uh, there we go. No, I thought I'd paused it. All right, here we go. Um, this is, uh, from the Grace Community website. All right. John is a professor of biblical counseling at the master's university and seminary, and he serves as the chairman of the master's of arts and biblical counseling program. And then it goes through and offers some of his background. Currently, he is an elder at Grace Church and serves as co-pastor for of the Joint Heirs Fellowship Group. All right, so he's an elder. So you see, when you're making accusations, you're going after masters, you're going after the church, you're going after everyone, all right? So now, again, some of the other statements we talked about, I made no judgments because I didn't have the full context. I didn't have the full context. I wanted to look at it for a theology lesson, right? Hey, you can have this theology about marriage and divorce. And then, and then all of a sudden, when you've got to leave the classroom and apply it to a real setting where there's really messed up things happening in a marriage, you got to really think this through. How does this work? What does this look like? How do we put this into practice? I wanted to use it for an exercise of taking theology from a theoretical point and making it practical and make sure we're being consistent. That's what I wanted to do. And then I was just going to move on, but I can't move on because right now, well, this is some serious accusations, all right? And, uh, oh, I hate this stuff. I, oh, I hate this stuff. I hate this stuff. I hate this stuff. So here we go. We're just going to jump in, all right? I hope you're ready. Uh, you please share your thoughts. Um, and and what, let's not, they make their, again, well, let's not go in it with any preconceived ideas, right? Let's go into it like, all right, here's someone from Master Seminary doing a lecture um, for a course on advanced biblical counseling. Let's see what their, their take is on advanced biblical counseling. And it sounds like they're going to talk about advanced biblical counseling in, in situations where there is abuse, maybe even sexual abuse. What are they going to say? Let's approach it from that perspective, right? Let's forget any accusations that are being made, and let's just see what we hear. Do we hear something troubling? Do we hear something that is shocking and the most controversial thing in the world? Or do we just hear something that goes, okay, I think I know what he's trying to say, 
but maybe he's not quite saying it the right way. Whenever you listen to any sermon or any lecture, you always have to take into account, this is very important, that like I do my podcast, we're live. There's no editing. There's no second takes. So sometimes you say something live, and then afterwards you're like, what in the world? I did not say that correctly. Now, is this... is is that the case here? Are we going to hear something going, okay, I think I know what he said. He didn't say that right. Yeah, they may want to pull that video off YouTube. Okay. Or maybe he just needs to issue a correction. I mean, maybe it's not as sinister as it being made up, or maybe this is somehow consistent with a philological point of view that is very troubling and the theology needs to be condemned, right? My, my first thought is, even when we listen to the previous clips, I'm just like, what is the theology here? And is that theology right? I was looking at more, like, I'm, I'm not trying to look at it, dealing with the people and so much as trying to figure out the theology here, because a lot of it just deals with a lot of, of accusations. Now, the things that we do know, I tried to be, you know, pretty as, as, as dogmatic as I could be, but I'm just trying to, to get rid of all of the craziness, you know, because nothing good is coming out of this. Now, I, again, for the woman, Eileen Gray, who was excommunicated, I still don't understand why Grace Community Church just can't come out and say, you know what, this, at least after everything came out, after everything came out that the husband had abused the children, okay, we need to lift her, her, church, her uh, church discipline. You think that at least that would happen, but it seems that they believe that the man's innocent, even though he was found guilty. And if they have evidence that he was innocent, they should come forward. I mean, the whole situation is just horrible. I mean, like, ugh, it's just horrible. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to this, and I don't know what we're, I don't know what's getting ready to happen. But let's do our best to just try to be fair and honest with this. I'm going to open up the Spreaker app here on the iPad so that I can see any comments. Because, uh, man, this is just ugly stuff. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Thinking caps on. Up to this particular point, we've been talking about the issue of abuse. And I know that we've spent a lot of time on this, but really we could spend a lot more time. Uh, There's so much here that we have not been able to directly address even up to this point. Now, number one. Immediately, we realize this, they've already been talking about abuse. So to be fair, we probably need the previous lecture that talked about abuse so that we could then flow into this one. So immediately, just make sure we realize all the accusations that are flying around are based off of a one minute, 37 second clip out of a out of a lecture that's over an hour and 40 minutes long. And this one is really a continuation of a previous one. So you need a lot of context to know exactly what do they believe in regards to abuse? What What is their theology about abuse and marriage and what should and shouldn't be done? Like that, we need a lot of context to, if we're going to just come out and, and, and make all kinds of accusations about their teaching, we, and I, I, I want to make this very clear. I would do this for any anyone. I, I, you, if you know anything about me, I absolutely 100% do not like charismatic theology. But if a charismatic church is being accused, I'm guess what? I'm going to go find the entire clip and let everything they said be heard. Stephen Furtick from what Elevation Church. 
I, you see his clips all the time. Every time I do, I get irritated. I will go listen to his entire sermon to give him the benefit of the doubt because that's just the way we should treat others. I think this. I think this is maybe maybe this is old fashioned and maybe it has no place for biblical Christianity. But I think we should try to treat others the way we want to be treated, right? So. Even right now, I'm already uncomfortable because he, he's been talking about abuse. So what has he said up to this point? But let's let's continue and see. Maybe this is getting ready to get so horrible that we're all going to just sit here in, in silence, shocked. I don't know. But we're going to give him the opportunity to speak for himself instead of everyone speaking for him. Uh, that I feel, wow, anytime I address this issue, I always feel like I'm deal- um, dealing with it insufficiently. But... Uh, hopefully, this will begin again, as we said at the very beginning, this will be a beginning point for you to do some further study. And we are at a point where we're asking the question, you can see it on the uh, screen here, what does the Bible say is the goal? What does the Bible say is the goal? And uh, the first thing is that this is in comparison to what uh, contemporary psychology and psychologists have said is the goal. The goal of biblical counseling is to be God's kind of person even in the midst of your trial. That's the goal of biblical counseling. Okay. Now, this is very important because we talked about this in the last episode. Now, we didn't make any conclusions about John Street, Grace Community Church, or John MacArthur, but they seem to have a theology. And in some ways, I understand the theology. But what they, they have a theology that basically says something like this. What, what for a Christian, what you should be most concerned about is the glory of God being God's person. That what you should be most concerned with is God's glory being God's person, not your comfort, not even your safety. That's what you should be concerned with. Now, that sounds like a great theology in practice, in theory, right? In theory. In other words, in a in a classroom setting or, or sitting in a pew, that sounds good. Listen, everyone, you need to be more concerned with God's glory than your own comfort, your own happiness, your own will, your own safety. And everyone says, amen. Boom. Now we transition from the pew. We transition from the, the, the seminary classroom. Now we're sitting in a pastor's office and a woman's like, my husband is beating me and I want out of this. I need, I need help. Well, you know, what we really need to focus on is you glorifying God and being God's person in the midst of this, not you running from it, because the goal here is for you to glorify God, not the protection of your body or your safety. That's when you're like, wait a minute, is that a correct application of said theology? Right? And you can go back and listen to our, our previous discussion where we talked about this kind of theological idea. I think we called it, uh, uh, should an abused woman stay or something along that line? And so you can uh, you can go back and listen to that. And, and that's how I used it as, is this a correct application of that kind of theology? So, so that's kind of the context of what he's talking about, because we did play previous clips from a different lecture, which may have been the one that precedes this one. All right. So, so maybe now we're starting to get a little bit of context, but that, this seems to be where the, the um, perspective he's operating from. Right. What's the goal of counseling? Is the goal of counseling simply to protect the person suffering, or is the goal for, for, the, for the person in that suffering to become the person God made them to be? Now, there's still problems with this, because wait a minute, why is it the job of the person suffering to stay in the suffering so that they can be God's person? What about the one doing the abuse? 
Okay. Now, I think that they typically look at this in light that the one doing the abuse is not saved. Okay. But why? So can God not, can you not be the person God wants you to be? Can you not glorify God by separating yourself from the physical harm? Is that not glorifying to God to protect the weak, protect the abused? Why? So, I mean, there's lots of questions we could ask about their theology, but that's kind of the context. Let's see if they they flesh this out any. Um, As good pastoral shepherds and as biblical counselors know that overriding goal in godly counsel is to help that person, that man or the woman of God, even in the midst of their trial, to be the kind of person that God wants them to be. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come to help us escape all the hardships of life. Uh, It is through those hardships that we actually learn to obey. We learn to remain true. We learn that he has greater purposes and we learn his faithfulness. Now, again, that sounds so good. Uh, right, that that in suffering, God, God's job, God's purpose is not just to get us out of suffering, but in that suffering, we can be purified. We can become people of God. Okay, that sounds great when you're just kind of in a theoretical way, just saying suffering or trial or difficulty. But when that suffering and that trial and difficulty is physical abuse or sexual abuse, especially involving children, Are you telling me that the goal is just to stay there because God has some wonderful purpose in it? See, that's where the the principle sounds so great and so biblical. But when we try to put it into practice, that's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I, I understand what you're saying, but now the application of that, I think God can, I think we can be, um, purified and grow and become better Christians and, and, and not just stay in a situation where someone's being physically abused or there's sexual abuse happening in the home. I don't think that that's a correct application of that doctrine or theology in any way, shape, or form. I don't, I don't think that that's a correct understanding. And I'm not even in any way making any theological claims about divorce. I'm talking separation. I'm talking protection. I'm talking stop getting out of the situation where there's physical harm occurring. That's what I'm referring to. I'm not not even getting into the other discussions or debates. All right, here we go. Through all those hardships. Now that's hard. And in most abuse counseling, you don't hear that because most abuse counselors will be very quick to get that person to escape and not teach them God's faithfulness or the importance of their faithfulness in counseling or in, in, in living out. I want you to hear that. You don't, you don't usually hear that in counseling because the, their first thing is to get them out. They, they don't basically say, hey, you stay there. God is faithful and you need to be faithful. Why, why is it that being faithful requires you to stay in a situation where you're being physically abused or children are being sexually abused? Like I, this is where I start getting very, 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 very upset all right, so I, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I'm trying to make sure we hear everything in context, but it, it's just, I mean, that that's just seems like an crazy statement. Hey, that in most counseling, they just want you to get out. Yes, if someone comes to me for counseling and they're being physically abused or there's a possibility of sexual abuse, I don't get out now, go, go. Let's go get your bags. Let's get you out right now. We're not waiting. We're not, we're not doing it. We're getting you out. And then depending on the church's financial ability, 
We, if, we, if the church can't, we're going to pay for your rent. We're going to do everything we can to get you protected. Now, I'm not saying the goal is just immediately destroy the marriage. I'm saying the goal is here to figure out exactly what's going. First, safety. Next, figure out what's going on. And then, obviously, if, if, if physical abuse or sexual abuse, you've got to report it to the authorities. Then the authorities have to step in. There needs to be an investigation, find out what has happened, hasn't happened. And then you try to be with everyone and work through this in the most glorifying way possible. But you can't say that, that what, you know, that almost it's implied that, that you got to tell God is faithful. I just got beat. Well, yeah, God is faithful. So, so God is faithful. So I'm supposed to stay there getting beat. Like I, I, I don't, I don't understand. And it just seems a little bit weird coming uh, from anything related to Grace Community Church because when they felt like they were suffering because of the unjust COVID mandates, they fought it. Well, why did they fight it? Why? I mean, they should. Just, God is faithful. They should have just endured the persecution as they see it. They should have just endured the horrible rules that were being handed down by the state of California. They didn't. But a woman who's being abused or a man who's being abused should just stay within the abuse? Or at least that's, I guess, that should be discussed. It's almost like that, that if you take that approach in counseling, it's almost like you're doing something wrong. Let's continue. Uh, Christianity, even in the midst of severe affliction. So it's important that we work with that. Um, and we and it's important that they understand that. Um. Take your Bible for a moment. Let's go over. I think this is best illustrated probably in Psalm 119. Um, and, uh, the, you know, every time I go to this particular Psalm, Psalm 119, um, and read these verses over again, I'm really convicted by them because of my own sinful human nature and depravity. Um, but here the psalmist says, uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, in verse 67, but now I obey thy word. Notice that, verse 67, Psalm 119, before I'm trying to breathe here. Okay. You're going to pull up Psalm 119, 67, and the context of talking about counseling people who are suffering abuse within a relationship. <laughs> and it's almost, now I don't know if he's going to get explicit, but it's clearly being implied that before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. The affliction helps you keep the word. Say, hey, someone comes to me, I'm being beat in my marriage. Well, Psalm 119.67, before you were afflicted, you went astray. Now because of your affliction, you're turning to God's word. Isn't that wonderful? You should be thankful. I guess you're supposed to be thankful for your abuse. I mean, like, I know he's not saying it in that explicit way, but that's clearly kind of what's being implied here, which is a little bit, a little bit disturbing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Someone just said, please don't have a seizure. I, I'm, man. And I'm trying not to allow any of my past of the horrible situations I encountered growing up to come into play here. I'm not trying to allow it to cloud my judgment, but I just don't know how Psalm 119 verse 67, I'm going to be pulling this out in a counseling session, dealing with someone who's being abused. Now I'm going to get them out. 
I'm going to get them out. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to do everything in my power. I was afflicted. I went astray, but now I obey thy word. Could it be that part of this affliction is to help us to understand obedience? You know, it's easy to obey God when things are going smooth, right? That's very easy. But it's very, very difficult to obey God when things are uh, going against us, when affliction is coming our direction. Again, how are you not obeying God by getting out of an abusive situation? I, it, there, there seems to be this ongoing impl implication, and we heard this even in previous clips where we talked about. Now we're trying to put this in, in a longer, you know, a longer clip so that we can try to be fair here. But it seems to be this ongoing theology that, hey, that 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 abuse, it 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 may be, it may be good, it may be wonderful. It, it, it's like you you can't be obedient if you if you leave it. I, I'm I'm just I'm having a hard time with this concept. You can obey God and glorify God getting out of it. St you still obey God while you're separating for physical protection. That's not disobeying God. But it, it, it seems that people who are taking the other side are like, no, 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 no. That's you're you're being unfaithful. You're being ungodly. I, I, I don't. I am having a hard time. With this concept, well, I'm gonna let's give him opportunity. Let's give him opportunity. I know I keep interrupting. I'm gonna give him opportunity. Right here we go. That's very difficult. And immediately right after that, in verse 68, he says, "Thou art good, and thou dost good." Now, within the context here, he's talking about affliction being a part of the very plan of God for our lives sometimes, and and even in the midst of that. We've got to realize that God is good and he does good. When you listen. Now, I want you to take this to its logical conclusion. Affliction is sometimes a part of God's plan. So if a child is being abused, we do nothing about it. You don't contact the authority. It could be it's God is good and affliction is part of God's plan. So I'm sorry, Johnny. I'm sorry you're being sexually abused at home. You know, God is good and and, uh, you know, uh, affliction is good for you. So you're going to, you're going to thank me in 20 years that I didn't do anything to protect you and didn't do anything to help you. I didn't contact the authorities. Thank you for stopping by your pastor's office. I'm the, I'm a good shepherd helping you out because I don't want you to run from affliction and miss out on God's blessing in your life. Now I'm saying that, that is the ridiculous logical conclusion that you would end up here because he's, again, remember this is all starting off. We, when we went to the very beginning of the clip, they're talking about abuse, counseling and, and with people who are in an abusive situation. And he's turning to scriptures that basically say affliction is good. Now, I understand, theoretically, I, I understand this, that there may be a time when someone after, first of all, you got to get them out. You got to protect them. But they may ask questions about why did God allow me to suffer? Then we have to deal with the theology that sometimes affliction and suffering is clearly a part of God's sovereign plan. I don't like that answer, and there's got to be an appropriate time to talk about that. It's usually not in the middle of being abused. I can tell you that. That's not the time to tell someone that. 
What you need to let them know is the abuse that, that, that's being, that they're enduring is sinful and wrong, and no one should do that to them. They're created in the image of God, and they should not be abused. They should not be treated that way. That is wrong, and their children should not be a, a treated that way. That's what they need to hear, and we're going to protect you. Then you can get into the whole theology of God's sovereignty and God's providence and God's eternal decrees. I, there's a time and place, but not right then. Listen to some Christians pray, and, you, and they pray, and they say, oh, oh, God, you are, you are just so good. Oftentimes, I think what they really mean by that is, oh, you've given me so many things that I enjoy in life, and you're just so good. Well, if God were to take away all those things and replace all those things that you enjoy in life with affliction, would he still be good? Absolutely, he would be. But I'm not sure that's the way a lot of Christians would view it. Um. I just find it interesting. He started the lecture using the word abuse. Now he's kind of switched and used the word affliction. Because if you if you just replace abuse with affliction, then it doesn't sound quite as insane, right? Hey, the abuse is, is you know, if God just gives you abuse, you, God is still good. So, you know, I'm, I'm counseling you. You just need to understand that. Uh, someone uh, in, in, in chat said, I feel like people who think this way haven't ever been abused. I, 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 I can't say that because I don't know. Maybe he has. Maybe he experienced it. Maybe this is just, he's, he's, he, this is just, the, his theology is just dominates the way he sees this and maybe in an incorrect way. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to make any accusations, but it's just interesting. If you just say, if you, if you, if you just use the word affliction here, it may not come across, but if you put it in its context, he's talking about abuse. That's how this entire lecture started. We started the lecture at the beginning, okay? And, and remember, this flows out of a, of a previous lecture that ended with the discussion about abuse. So clearly, abuse is the context here. All right, let, let's see where this goes. We still haven't gotten to the, the, the controversial part, supposedly dealing with pedophilia, that I'm, I don't know where it's going to happen, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go until we get to that part. Here, the psalmist is saying, in the midst of his affliction, he's able to look and say, God, you are good. That's not wishful thinking. Um, that is what the psalmist really believes. And you doest good. You only do good. Teach me thy statutes, he says. Then you skip down to verse 71. He says, it was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn thy statutes. It was good that I was afflicted? Yeah. And in fact, our English translates it, uh, the Hebrew tense here, as a past tense, I was, when in reality, it's actually, the, the Hebrew can also be, I am, present tense. It was good for me that I am afflicted. This is a present tense reality that's going on, all right, that I may learn your statutes, Again, are you saying that you look at someone who's being abused and say, hey, it's good that you're currently being abused and you should not get out of it because it's helping you. It's, it's for your spiritual growth. Like that, the implications here are horribly, horrible, just horrible. And in this may be exposing how many Christians, how many Christians perceive how to deal with abuse situations. Maybe maybe there's a lot of Christians who think this way, all right? Um, 
I, I, I think may, maybe there's more, maybe this is going to expose kind of an entire theology that, and, and that's what I'm more worried about. I, I'm not, I'm not here to try to attack individuals. I'm here to figure out what was actually said because I don't want someone to be falsely accused, but I'm looking at it. What is this? Where is this theological teaching arriving from? It's arriving from a, 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 an interesting, I think a biblical perspective that yes, affliction can be used by God for good. I understand that, but I'm still not going to tell someone who's being abused that it's their biblical place to stay in it and suffer. I think that that's a disconnect. Um, Are you able to say that? Is the person that you're counseling in this particular abuse situation, are they able to look to God and say, um, it was good for me that I went through this. That that was good for me. Uh, that is often difficult. Um, there's a story that I'm aware of, of a young lady. In fact, it's written, it's entitled Glinda's Story. And it's about affliction by, um, about a young girl um, who later on grew up to be a woman, got married. But when she was a young girl, her mother hated her. Uh, wanted to put her to death. Her sister despised her. Her father, when she was a baby, left, and her mother remarried a stepfather. And the mother, being a, a, a severe drunkard, the stepfather couldn't hardly put up with her and ended up sleeping with Glenda from the time that she was four years of age. And because there was no sexual fulfillment with the, step, with the mother, the stepfather ended up finding a sexual satisfaction with this young girl for several years. Okay, here's the clip. That's, that, this is part of the clip that's being played. Now, I am in no way claiming, and I don't think any way should, that he's claiming that this pedophilia, that this situation was good. He's clearly identifying this situation as an affliction, as abuse. So he is identifying it as abuse. What some people have problems with, he's saying he slept with her. No, he raped her. This is pedophilia. And that he turned to the girl who was four years of age because he was not receiving physical satisfaction, sexual satisfaction from his wife. Almost excusing it. That's how many people feel. It is very problematic the way this is being said, right? Uh, Because... That's rape. That's a crime. So the first thing that should be told to anyone in counseling, if you ever hear of a case like this, you have to contact the authorities and you need to get the family out. You need to get the girl away from them immediately, right? That's what should be driven home into the counselor's mind. You got to protect the kid. So a lot of people are pointing out, why does he say slept with? It's raped. Why would he even bring up the fact that, well, he didn't receive any sexual satisfaction from the wife. So he turned to a four-year-old girl. Why is that even relevant to the story? The man is a pedophile and a rapist. Like, like, can we not call it what it is? It just seems an odd way of, of, of stating it, but, but we'll let me fit. I'm going to back this up just a little bit because this is the part that everyone's going crazy about right now. And I can see some of their, I can definitely see some of their concerns here. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit further. Here we go. 
you know, a, a severe drunkard. The stepfather couldn't hardly put up with her and ended up sleeping with Glenda from the time that she was four years of age. And because there was no sexual fulfillment with the, step, with the mother, the stepfather ended up finding a sexual satisfaction with this young girl for several years. She's hated by her mom, hated by her sister. Her mom's a drunk. Her stepfather is sexually abusing her. You can imagine the kind of life that this girl grew up in. And even in the midst of this, in her, in her biography of her life, she admits to the fact that I, as I look back now, I realize that even as a young girl, I had sinful tendencies and propensities even in the midst of what was happening to me. Well, okay. Now, he did call it sexual abuse. I think in some of the clips being played online, that part is left out. So that's what, see, that's why we're doing this. But he, girl's four years old. She's being raped. And somehow, He's going to talk about the girl acknowledging later on that she had sexual or uh, a sensual or sinful propensity. Who knows what she felt? She's in a hor- she's in an absolutely horrific, illegal, immoral, ungodly, unholy, evil situation. Why, why does it come to, well, she, she realized this about herself. Where is he going with this? This. Okay. We're going to back this up. I'm trying, I look, I'm doing everything in my power to give this person the opportunity that he can be heard himself and not any, and all the clips that are being played. We, we will have the full context. That's all I'm trying to do here, but he's making it very difficult to, to try to, uh, okay, yeah, man, okay, I'm going to back up a little bit, all right, here we go, as I look back now, I realize that even as a young girl, I had sinful tendencies and propensities, even in the midst of what was happening to me, now, you don't hear that in a lot of abuse literature, all right, what you hear is, I you're a victim. This is a horrible thing that's going. And certainly, this girl did not bring anything upon herself at all. But at the same time, she realized the depravity of her own heart when going through this. Yeah, you don't hear this in typical counseling because she was the victim. She was the one abused. She is. She was the one who encountered great evil. What, why are we worrying about her depravity in the midst of a horrific, evil, ungodly situation? This is, this is being taught as an advanced, an advanced course in biblical counseling at Master Seminary. Hmm. Okay, we 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 we've got we got to get fuller context. We got to get fuller context. Let, let's continue. And her own depravity in response to this, and eventually the story goes in her life that a group from a Christian college ended up um, 
or actually it was a neighborhood church with her. It was a group from a neighborhood church that ended up leading her to the Lord. And she later on, as she grew up, became a registered nurse and, and went on and married a, uh, a man. And they had a wonderful family. What normal people would have been affected or marred by that, supposedly, for the rest of their life, they this would have been a life-defining tragedy that occurred to them. With Glenda, that wasn't true because she handled those thoughts biblically. She realized the own, her own sinfulness as a result of this, and she realized that God intended it for good. There's another story. So, so the... So the correct way for an abused child who was sexually raped, the correct way for her to handle it is to recognize her own depravity and say, God meant it for good. And he's going to go to another story. The conclusion of that example is if if a person's being abused, don't see yourself as a victim. Look at your own depravity. Hey, you're four years old, but remember your own depravity. And and just know God meant it for good. I, I, I'm really at a loss for words. I'm going to let him go on with the next story, but that, that put that clip in its fuller context. We put it in an eight-minute context versus a minute, 37 seconds. Please note, it's still in a lecture of, uh, that's an hour and 31 minutes left. So we still haven't done a, 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 a correct job here, but I'm still trying to process what we have heard. Let's, let's listen to the next story and see if it gets any better. Um, a book that's written called Dory, The Girl That Nobody Loved by Dory Van Stone. Uh, uh, her pastor, uh, Lutzer, there at Moody Church, wrote the um, introduction to the particular book. But there's a story of a girl who was, from the time she was a little child, was sent to an orphanage. Uh, she was horribly abused, beaten severely and cruelly by the orphanage director. Eventually, later on, went on. Uh, to a foster home, was sexually abused and terribly beaten in several different foster homes, came back to the orphanage, and it was her story where a group from a Christian college came in. She came to Christ as a result of that. And eventually she married a Christian guy, and they went off into the mission field, and she talked about how she could look back on her life and see that it was through all of that, even abuse during early childhood, that God was preparing her for the rigors of mission field and that it was nothing for her. It was wonderful. I mean, you know, it's not like she enjoyed pain. I don't want to give you that impression at all. But compared to the other women who were her age who were having problems on the mission field, she had no problems. You know, I mean, this is nothing compared to what I grew up with. Hey, abuse makes you tough. Abuse makes you tough. That's that's the biblical counseling. Hey, I know right now you're being abused, but just know. It's toughing you up. It's making you tough. So you're going to be able to deal with things other people your age are not going to be able to deal with. Like, what in the world? This is biblical. 
You see why many in the world look down on biblical counseling. You see why. This is, hey, it makes you tough. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you went through all that? It makes you tough. Makes you tough. I, I got to tell myself that. Oh, it made me tough. It made me tough. It made me tough. All right, yeah. Okay, now I feel, I feel better. What she was enduring, and she and her husband went to a, a remote tribe in New Guinea and served very faithfully there for years until her husband passed away. Well, I mean, this is what we're talking about here. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. And then you skip down and you take a look at verse 75. Uh, he says, I know, and, and the, the Hebrew word here is uh, for knowledge is I experientially know. I experientially know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. I experientially know that. Now, we have a tendency to think that God is being unfaithful when he's afflicting us. But the psalmist had the right view of God, that God is being faithful in his affliction. Wow. Um, now, you may think, well, maybe the, the, the psalmist at this particular point deserved what he was going through. Maybe it's the type of affliction that he brought it upon himself because he was misbehaving in some way or sinning in some way. Well, that's not true because you skip down to verse 78 and he says, may the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie. What's implied there is the suffering that he's going through is unjust suffering, unjust abuse. And the word subvert is the Hebrew word that means they basically undermine his reputation and use it as an excuse to abuse him. They undermine his reputation and use it as an excuse to abuse him. Pretty serious uh, deal going on here. And, that, and you'll find that a lot of abusers will do that. A lot of abusers will actually be very careful to search out details in the person's life that they want to abuse in order to find some kind of irrational... Um, to them it's not irrational, but some justification for that abuse. And so they end up usually lying or magnifying some little teeny issue in that person's life. Well, my wife burned the toast in the morning, so it's my right to beat her up. Uh, um, she tossed and turned at night, and I didn't get very good sleep, so it's my, it's my right to be angry and hateful and mean and physical with her uh, or something like that. Uh, that's that's very common. The psalmist says, uh, this is exactly the way they were. They undermined my reputation. They absolutely subverted everything that I was trying to live and be. This now, this at least provides, he, he does acknowledge that an abuser will find a way to excuse their abuse. So if you go back to the previous, the, the, little, the story he told of the man who wasn't sexually satisfied by his wife abusing the little girl, I'm assuming then he would agree that that was a man making an excuse for abusing the girl. I, I'm, I'm, so that does provide maybe a little context that a lot of people have missed. The whole thing, though, is still problematic. And, and because, again, this is a course in advanced biblical counseling. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure. Like 
if you're sitting there taking notes on this, what are, what are you going to, what are you going to leave with? Like, what, what are you going to, what are you going to walk away with? Like, I, it just seems like this is so like, I don't know if these people would be trained to counsel anybody. It, it, this just seems like major problem problematic. I'm going to try to get him to a point where he gets ready to transition to another point, And then I'll wrap it up because I think we need, I'm going to try to give you some specific things to take away from this. All right, here we go. This is unjust suffering that he's undergoing. And he's able to look at God and say, Lord, uh, because of this, I know your word and faithfulness. You have, you have um, afflicted me, that your judgments are righteous, um, and that it was good that I am afflicted, that I can learn thy statutes. All of this is true. Um, you skip down to verse 85, and it magnifies the injustice of this. The arrogant have dug pits for me. Men who are not in accord with thy law. In other words, they're out to trap him. Out to trap him. And of course, here, here's, the, here's the strength in the midst of this all. If you skip down, we don't have time to go through all these verses. But in verse 92, he says, If thy law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Boy, that is so key to abuse counseling. If there ever was... A verse that's critical here, it's got to be this. If thy law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. It's the law of God that has got to be his delight. That's so, so again, what, what are, you, are, are you saying this is, this is what you tell the one being abused? You need to delight in God's word. Delight in God's word. No, you tell them to get out. That's what you do. I don't understand why he cannot just bring himself to say, leave, get out, run. You do not deserve it. And you help the people get away from it. It seems like the whole focus is stay, stay, endure. It will make you tough. It will make you more godly. It will draw you closer to God's word. And how do you handle it? You delight in God's word and you can handle it. That, that's where, oh man. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if he can transition here. That's key. Um, what verse that's uh, verse 92. And you may want to also refer back to verse 50 as well. Because in 50, he says, this is my comfort and my affliction that thy, thy word has revived me. Very similar statement. So it's almost as if uh, Psalm 119.50 and Psalm 119.92 are bookends to this whole issue of affliction. And what the bookends of this is God's book. It is the word of God. That's the bookends. So you get this idea. Um, that affliction um, is not outside the sovereign will of God for people's lives. And you remember um, in Luke chapter 22. Okay, we're going to stop there. Now, I'm going to try to offer some points here. All right. Number one. Here we go. I'm just going to try to go through these quickly because we're already over an hour and it's 11, uh, 16 p.m. at night. All right, here we go. Quickly. Number one, abuse is evil, sinful, and wrong. Physical abuse, sexual abuse of a child is 
evil, it is sinful, it is wrong, and there is no excuse for it. It arises out of the depravity of man or woman. It is evil, it is sinful, it is wrong, it is ungodly, it is immoral. It goes against the uh, the biblical uh, mandate of loving even your enemy, of loving your neighbor as yourself. It is evil and it is wrong. And in biblical counseling, that must be clearly established that what you are suffering is evil and wrong and it is sinful. The one who is being abused needs to understand that what is happening to them is evil, it is wrong, and it is sinful, and there is no excuse for it. All right? Number two, what you, the second thing that must occur is that the one being abused needs to be protected. The one being abused needs to be protected and pulled out of the situation. There can be separation. There is nothing ungodly about that. There is nothing wrong about that. That, that, Listen, it is sinful, it is evil, it is wrong, and that the person who's being abused should be helped to get out of it. They should separate. They should be protected. That, that I, I cannot stress that enough. So number one, it's evil. Number two, separation and protection is not ungodly. It is not wrong. It's not wrong in any way, shape, or form. They've already experienced the affliction. They've already experienced the suffering. You don't need to continue to get more of it. You need to be protected from it. That's completely acceptable to do. All right? So number one, it's evil. Number two, protection. All right? Number three, reporting. Abuse needs to be reported to the proper authorities. Now, you have to take the, the victim and what they would like to do. Well, in some cases, you, your men, man, forget that. In some cases, you're mandated by, the, by law. You have to report it. And if that's the law, you have to report it. All right? So number one, it's evil. Number two, the person has to be protected and do everything you can to get them out of the situation. Number three, report. Right? These are basic guidelines that has to occur, right? Number, number four, this is very important. Number four, yes, we have to acknowledge that an all-powerful, all-knowing God knew what was going to happen, saw what was happening, and we know he's powerful enough to intervene. He, we knew that he knew what was going to happen before the foundations of the world. Yes, it's somehow a part of his sovereign plan. I don't understand that. I will never comprehend that. I'll never be able to wrap my mind around it. He knows he's powerful. He could intervene, but he does not. All right. I, there's no way to get around that. That's just the, that when you believe in an eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent God, you have to deal with this reality. It is uncomfortable, but trust me, there's a time to give the, the victim the discussion about this, and it's not while they're going through it. But at some point, they're going to ask questions. And you have to be honest that, yes, God obviously knew, and I don't know why, but somehow it was a part of the plan. I don't understand why I've gone through the things I've gone through, and I don't understand why you've gone through the things you've gone through. I don't understand it, all right? But I know God is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, all, all every, uh, we, could, we, we could use theological terms, however you want to say it, we, those things are, he is sovereign, so the, the abuse is evil. The abuse is evil. Protection, reporting, and then understanding, yes, God is sovereign in it. God is sovereign in it. And then at some point, we can possibly see how that, uh, that affliction, that abuse may be used somehow to move us forward in our spiritual life. 
If it's in a child, you can't even say move forward in their spiritual life. They probably are not even regenerate. They're a child. So first of all, you got to make sure you understand that in some cases, it could be the abuse of someone who's not even truly regenerate, right? The mom may be saved, but the child, four or five years old, very good chance isn't. But at some point, you may be able to see that the, the good that comes from it. But that's, there's, there's a time and place to have that discussion. Way later, not during the abuse. The, during the abuse, what's happening to you is evil. It's wrong. We're going to protect you. We're going to report it, right? That's, that's what you focus on right there. That's what we're going to focus on. Then later on, understand God's sovereignty in it. And then I do agree. Listen, I completely agree that in affliction, God can use it for his glory, for his purpose, to draw me closer to his word, to purify me. All of those things are true, but let's make it very clear. Even though God uses affliction, it doesn't mean that one has to stay in said affliction when they are being abused and beaten and sexually molested. It should never, we should never apply it in that situation. Yes, I may be going through affliction in my life and suffering, and it's one thing to say, okay, God, I would like for you to remove this, but it may not be removed. Use it for my good. But if there's a, an evil is being done to you, you're being abused and, and molested. No, no one should be told to stay in it. They should be told to get, and listen, you can glorify God leaving it. You can, you can glorify God separating yourself from it. It should not be inferred any way, any way, shape or form that you have to stay in it. Now, if you would like to listen to the entire, well, the, the last point, uh, the last point there I'm trying to make is that you can glorify God by separating. You can glorify God. You can still glorify God, d- desire his word, cherish his word by separating from it. You, in other words, you can't make this false statement that basically the only way to glorify God, the only way to become the person of God that, that he wants you to be is to stay in this horrible situation where you're being physically abused or sexually abused. You don't have to stay in that. You can get out. You can separate. You have every right to separate. You have every right. You should not be, to feel like you're the ungodly one for not wanting to be beaten. You're ungodly for not wanting your, you or your child to not be sexually abused. There's nothing ungodly about that. Yeah, I mean, th- those, those are some points right there. That I think just I think everyone can be able to agree on. This is no way an attack upon the teaching of God's sovereignty. I believe in God's sovereignty. I understand God's sovereignty. I understand that God can use affliction. Right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I understand that He can use that. We we talked about it in our study in Genesis. I understand that. But that doesn't mean you have to stay in in a situation where you're being beaten and abused. You you can leave it, you can get out of it. And I'm not even here to get into the whole divorce, how, how, we, how we work that out. Again, if there's abuse, the whole situation there has to be discussed. But, but before you even get to that, it's separate, protect. Separate, protect, and provide. That's the church's job. Help them get out. Protect and provide for the victim, for the one being abused. Report. Get the right people involved to investigate, to find out exactly what is going on. Yes, you can hope and pray for restoration, reconciliation, 
you know, for, for, for someone to be transformed and stop acting and doing these horrible things. Now, if it's sexual abuse, forget that. They've got, they've got to face legal consequences. Even with physical abuse, there's got to be legal consequences. So it's not like, hey, we're just going to separate you and hopefully, you know, we'll pray with and, and, you know, do a little bit of biblical counseling and then put you back in the marriage. No, there's physical sexual abuse. There's got to be, there's got to be legal consequences. It's a crime. It's a crime. I don't know why the church just seems to forget this. Nowhere in this at this point. Now, he probably will at some point say, I would hope that, hey, it's a crime and you have to report it. I would hope that they would uh, teach that. I would hope. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But what I was going to say, oh, wow, that's just, it's just crazy. We, we made it 14 minutes. I still, a long clip. Um, this is a part of, this is called Advanced Biblical Counseling, Dr. John D. Street. It is called Lecture 3, Advanced Biblical Counseling, Dr. John D. Street, and it's on the Master Seminary YouTube channel. All right? Okay. Um, and the comments under there are not pleasant, all right? Uh, the comments under this video are very, 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 very negative. There's only 32, but it's got 92 thumbs up. It's been viewed 8,990 times, 92 view uh, thumbs up. Nobody has disliked it. And 32 comments, the first comments are all extremely negative, going, what in the world did I just hear? This is horrible. Hopefully, the people commenting actually watched the whole thing, hopefully. Um, but there you have it. I, I'm pointing you to it so that you can go listen to the rest. If you listen to the rest and you think, oh, wait, he 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 clarif clarifies everything at this point, I will come back and we will we will talk about it. Well, at some point, we're probably going to have to return to this because because there's going to be um, the Roy's report's going to release a podcast about this clip. It's it's I'm guaranteeing that an article is going to uh, pop up on the Roy's report probably tomorrow. Um, it's going all over social media. Everyone's talking about it. So I, I bet you this could get picked up by the Christian Post, Christianity Today, Christian Headlines, Crosswalk.com. I, this, this is one of those situations that this story continues to build. So I just want everyone to hear it in as much context as I could provide at 11 o'clock at night. Okay. I gave you as much context as I could. And there's still some major problems there. As far as what, what, what is he teaching them to do? Like, this is a counseling course. What, what, what has he taught them to do? Hey, tell the people not to leave because it's going to toughen them up. It's going to make them more godly and it's going to give them a, it's going to draw them closer to God's word. And the way they endure it is if they delight in God's word, they can endure it. That's basically what he's seeming to imply. And that God is good and the suffering is a part of God's will. So stay in it. Even if you think the suffering is a part of God's will, think about this. Even if you're in it, right, and you've already endured it, so you've already experienced a part of God's will, doesn't mean you can't get out when someone's committing a crime against you. I mean, take that to a logical conclusion. Hey, someone breaks into your house, tries to kill your family, just just don't, don't do anything. Just accept it. Just accept it. Don't try to fight back. Don't, don't resist. Most, most people would say that's crazy. Well, okay, well then would it be crazy here? Like, like if someone's committing a crime against you, are you just supposed to sit there and take it? Now I understand we've got, we got other biblical passages, Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, resist not evil. I know there's a lot of issues to deal with, but I know this, 
someone being abused, I'm not going to tell them to stay in it. I'm going to help them get out of it. And the person committing the crime needs to be brought up on charges and prosecuted by the law. Okay, that, that I think we can all agree there. I mean, th- this raises some serious questions and, and how to, to work all of this up. But once again, see, this is what happens. We have a theoretical theology and how to put that theology into practice in real life situations. There can be some messy disconnect here. And I just don't think this, this counseling works. And, and oh, yeah, this is a horrible situation. It's horrible. I... I'm, I'm assuming the videos are going to be, I, I, there's, there's no way they're going to leave the videos. There's just no way. I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, like, how long are they going to leave the videos up? They're going to have to pull these videos down. They're going to have to. I, I just, well, the video, I, I just did a refresh. We'll see. Maybe the video is going to be down by tomorrow. Well, you, can, you can draw your own conclusions. There you have it. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I hope I've tried to provide some context for this. If you see it floating around on social media, just tell everyone, watch the entire thing, right? Help them find it. Um, if, you need, if you need the entire clip, email me and I can send it to you. Again, it's called Lecture 3, Advanced Biblical Counseling, Dr. John D. Street. It's a part of the Master Seminary YouTube page, all right? the Master Seminary YouTube page. You should be able to find it there, right? And I want you, and please go listen to everything because maybe I've missed context. I'm willing to acknowledge. I mean, there's just no way I can do, I I can't review all of it right now, but I wanted to review as much as I could because we found the clip, we listened to what came before, and we listened to what came after. So I think we've been fair to the one minute and 37 second clip that's floating around the internet. We've been fair. You can determine if you think it makes it better or makes it worse. All right, there you have it. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.